did not know that the receipts were going to be brought up and going to be stepping foot in front of a firing squad with Adam pulling the trigger. Welcome to the Mainline Podcast. I am Adam Jacquez. It's Bedlam Week. We've got the full crew back in the studio. Corbin Polson, Tyler Burton. Guys, how are we doing this evening? I'm doing well, Corbin. Nice of you to join us this week. Um, big weekend up in Stillwater, uh, so it's nice having a special occasion, having you back. But no, I'm I'm doing well, guys. I'm glad we're uh, glad we were able to get back together and do this tonight. We've got Thanksgiving coming up on Thursday, and I know we're all going to be traveling starting tomorrow. And you know, I'm coming up to your neck of the woods, Corbin, for five days. So pretty excited about that. Go out to see Colorado for a week and. I know that with us recording a day earlier, you know, we haven't had a chance to do nearly as much podcast prep for, for Bedlam, but we're just going to roll with it, see what happens. And guys, I cannot wait for Saturday. It's going to be a great matchup in Stillwater. Yeah, thanks uh, from directly from my girlfriend to both of you, uh, allowing me to go off uh, last Tuesday. It was her 33rd birthday, so went Ooh. out and had a, a nice steak dinner, spent way too much. It was totally worth it. Um, but yeah, it was a great time. Yeah, I'm excited, dude, for you to uh, to be out here. I'd give you a bunch of advice and stuff. I think you're in pretty good hands when it comes to things you guys will do out here, and uh, you'll have a great time. So ironically, I'm heading back to uh, Oklahoma on Wednesday night, Thanksgiving week. I uh, got to be around my um, OSU grad aunt for the game uh, on the on that weekend. So, you know, pros and cons. Are you going to go? Are you going? No, I'm not going. No? No. One guy but that I, is going, I Adam. Like 3-0 and in Bedlam since when I go to Stillwater, so maybe I should. Yeah. I will be in Stillwater for the game, although after the game, I may want to flee the state just like you, Tyler. So um, before we I may not come into- back. <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't blame you. It, it looks uh, looks like a year unlike any other um, as far as what's shaping up there. We'll get to that game in a second. Before we do that, though, we do need to cover um, what happened down in Norman this past Saturday against Iowa State. An interesting game, a lot to like, some to dislike, um, some, some head scratchers for sure. So let's start with the bad first, uh, get that out of the way, the offense. Uh, what happened? It's a wonderful question. <laughs> <laughs> I I don't really know, um, God, at this point, what we're, what, 11 games, 12 games into the season? I don't really know how else to say it. Uh, this offense looks broken right now, guys. I mean, this was the fifth time this season that Oklahoma's offense put up seven points or less in a half, uh, in the first half, I should say. You know, Lincoln Riley's offenses over the last five seasons have been known for uh, fast starts, jumping out to big leads uh, to start games early and often, and that simply just hasn't been the case this year. So, strictly, you know, looking at Iowa State, Saturday's performance, trying to – I think kind of dissect what went wrong for Oklahoma. I think it was a mixture of a lot of things. You know, Caleb Williams starting with him, uh, his indecisiveness in the pocket, holding on to the football too long. You know, going back and rewatching the game, I thought that there were a handful of plays where, you know, Caleb simply didn't get the ball to the wide open receiver. That was something that I think Joel Klatt uh, did a great job of highlighting was that time and time again, Caleb had a clean pocket and just wasn't able to find the, the receivers he came as he became open in the middle of that coverage. And, you know, if you're going to hold on to the football, you know, I, I, I and you don't see anything there, you know, use your legs, go pick up five or six yards instead of, you know, chunking it down the field, putting the ball in a bad situation or maybe throwing it away. If Oklahoma wants to have any success this weekend against Oklahoma State, they've got to stay ahead of the chains now. Um Back to the struggles, I thought that there were also kind of some more more plays than not where Oklahoma's receivers were either completely covered up or they just didn't do a good enough job uh, coming back to the football, helping Caleb, um, you know, get open in the receiving game. But 
Uh, guys, for me, the biggest problem right now is Lincoln Riley and the play calling. That's where I'm going to point the finger at. Um, Oklahoma, I think that they kind of need to simplify things, especially in the running game. They had a lot of success with the outside zone concepts, especially in the second half on Saturday. Um, guys, they need to run the football. Bring back the quick game, um, the wide receiver screens, the short passes, utilize the quarterback's legs running the football. We're seeing too many throws it kind of feels like on plays that are on vertical type concepts, vertical routes, uh, running the football, getting Caleb back into the rhythm with a quick game, you know, forces the, uh, the defense come down closer to the line of scrimmage, suck them in and force them to commit to stopping the run, force them to commit to stopping the short game and then start throwing the ball deep down the field 10, 12 times over a four quarter stretch. It's bizarre guys. Uh, I mean, we really haven't seen much offensive success, you know, outside of tech, since Texas, right? I mean, it's really the one game that they seem to have things rolling. And, you know, I think Tech's been hit and miss throughout the entire season. Um, I'm with you, Tyler. I don't know if the offense is too complicated for a guy like Caleb right now. I don't know if Lincoln Riley is getting a little – I don't even know how to describe it. It seems like he he refuses to let the offense gain momentum and to work the ball down the field. It seems like every drive is an all or nothing type of drive, right? We're either going to hit a big play or we're going to go three and out, maybe get a first down. Um, it's bizarre. And and I don't, I don't know. I'm definitely not an X's and O's enough guy to figure out who this really falls on. Um, Cause you're right. You see some plays, especially the interception that Caleb Williams had, like he had Jeremiah Hall, you know, on the seam route, on the other side of the field and it looked like he had a step but then again like why is jeremiah hall running the seam route in that situation kind of was confusing to me as well so i i don't know where to put the blame exactly um but you see enough flashes just to keep the little ounce of hope that i think i still have in this offense to do something the hard part heading into this weekend in bedlam is lincoln has had his way in bedlam on the offensive side of the ball the not so great part is this is probably the best Oklahoma State defense he'll have, you know, gone up against uh, in his tenure, offensive coordinator or head coach in Norman. So I'm not sure what to expect this weekend, but yeah, a lot of head scratching um, decisions. And even on Caleb Williams' run, I'm pretty sure that was a broken play when he went 75 yards on that that opening drive. Mm-hmm. So I'm not sure what to make of it. I think it definitely falls on Lincoln's shoulders. And look at you know that first quarter of the game. Other than that broken play, there wasn't a score, but I and there wasn't you know a ton of success necessarily. But I really liked the play calls because it was in the script. It was what Lincoln had prepared ahead of time, and there was a lot of QB run game involved, a lot of balance, a lot of quick <clears> passing. <throat> um, and then as soon as the script ran out of plays, it reverted back to what we've seen over the past you know a uh, couple of slower parts of this offense, where Caleb Williams is dropping back. There's tons of vertical routes. They're not open. He's sitting there, sitting there, sitting there. He's trying to prove that he's not just a runner, but a passer. So he sits back there and then inevitably nothing happens at that mm-hmm. point. So another week, another game plan without very many screen passes. Um, beginning of the year, we saw tons of screen passes to the wide receivers. We don't see that at all anymore. Uh, we don't see that to the running backs even. We don't see quick slants really. It's all vertical routes or it's just not being thrown even if it is there and open. And so Lincoln Riley... His downfalls, not just this year, but in years past, has been his play calling. You know, does he get away from the running game? Um, And whether that's, hey, okay, the running game works. Now let me prove that I know how to pass the ball still, too. Or maybe he falls in love with a concept or a scheme or a certain play, and he's drawn that up earlier in the week, and he says, 
this is the perfect play. It's going to work. We're going to go execute this. And then it doesn't work. And, and then he goes, well, that's weird. I don't know why it doesn't work. Let's keep trying it. And it still doesn't work. And so that's frustrating. It's like, go back to your bread and butter. If it's running off tackle, let's do it 30 times a game. Let's do what works and actually move the ball. I think that's been a huge, um, you know, kind of, you know, I guess a black eye towards, you know, what we've seen from Lincoln this year in the play calling. And I thought that it uh, it came to light again on Saturday. It's kind of the inability to stick with what's working, stick with what's gotten you to that point. Uh, I know that on the drive that ultimately, you know, resulted in Gabe Burkich missing that field goal. Um, you know, Kennedy Brooks had three consecutive plays where I think he had a, a run of six yards and he had a 26-yard gain, then a nine-yard gain, got you all the way down into the red zone, and then Lincoln decides, hey, let's try to throw the football the very next three plays, forces a field goal, oh, he ultimately misses on it. But, um, guys, we, we talked about it, you know, going into the bye week, that Caleb Williams going into the last month of the season, Baylor, Iowa State, Oklahoma State, arguably the three best defenses that he was going to play all year, the three best teams on OU's schedule. And, guys, looking at how Caleb has performed the last couple of weeks, his combined stats against Iowa State and Baylor, 17 of 36, 229 yards, one touchdown, three interceptions. He's competing. He's completing less than 50% of his passes uh, combined for both of these games. That's simply not going to get it done. And, Adam, like what we were just talking about, Get the quick game going again. Use the bubble screens. Get the wide receivers catching the ball one to two yards away from the line of scrimmage. If you can't run the football, if you're having a hard time, you know, asserting yourself in the running game, the the quick game is basically an extension of the of the run game. Get the you get your playmakers, Mario Williams, Marvin Mims, get those guys the ball out in space and see what they can do after they make the catch. But uh, it's been a big test. It's been a very very challenging for Lincoln and Kay the last couple of weeks and. Guys, it, it's going to get a whole lot harder this weekend, especially going on the road to a hostile environment, what we know Stillwater is going to be uh, here in just five short days. We can all expect this will be the last game in Stillwater for quite some time, right? I mean, this is probably, you know, last Bedlam game there. Mm-hmm. Maybe they come back to Norman next season. Yeah. Maybe not. Maybe not. I mean, I don't think that's a given, but I would lean towards next year probably being the final Bedlam game for quite some time. Mm-hmm. Guys, that place is going to be crazy. And I don't think – I don't – I've been to that stadium a couple of times. I don't think it's the loudest thing in the world, but they'll, they'll be pretty excited. So, you know, you I, I was even thinking earlier today, if you, if you win the toss, what do you do? Do you throw Caleb into that madhouse that is going to be from the start? Or do you risk your defense giving up an opening score and then he's got to do it on the second drive anyway? So, I mean, they're going to have to weather the storm. You know that crowd is going to be ready in Stillwater. You know that team is going to be ready in Stillwater. I think the only thing that kind of gives me some hope heading into Bedlam is that that Oklahoma State offense hasn't necessarily been great all year either. And I think uh, I was mentioning Adam before the podcast. I don't know their depth chart well enough to say this with full certainty, but I think after the game in Lubbock, they're probably even more thin on the offensive line heading into Bedlam than they were earlier in the season. So you would like to think this defense has its way, but the other problem is Spencer Sanders' legs will probably – I know Taylor Martinez is definitely an an athlete. He certainly had his way against us, uh, you know, a few months back. But you got to think Spencer Sanders is probably the most – well-rounded athlete this team will be playing as far as an opposing quarterback's concerned. Well, and I think, you know, going into this weekend defensively, I think it's safe to say that the game against Iowa State, that was the best game that they played all season. Now, we knew coming into the game, we talked about it last week, that Iowa State had the skill talent to kind of give Oklahoma fits like they've done in years past. Brees Hall, Charlie Kolar, uh, Xavier Hutchinson, outside guys of the first and last possessions of the game, 
OU's defense dominated. I was very impressed with what I saw, especially from Oklahoma's front seven. I don't think I gave Jalen Redman enough credit at the beginning of the year for, for his play because it's been obvious that this defensive line is so much better when 31 is out on the field. Uh, they held Brees Hall to, I think it was just 58 yards rushing. It was right around three three yards of carry. That's outstanding against a running back of that caliber, a guy that's you know probably going to be a top one or two uh, you know round pick in the NFL draft. But um, you know, guys coming into that matchup against Iowa State, that was an offensive line that had only given up 12 sacks all year. Oklahoma St- or Oklahoma sacked Brock Purdy seven times on Saturday, and Perrion Winfrey almost ended that man's life in, in the middle of in the middle of Owen Field. But uh, you know, th- that was the hardest hit I've seen in a long, long time. The linebackers I thought probably had their best game collectively of the entire season. Uh, Brian Osmo, the past two weeks, he has made his living in the backfield, hit probably his best two games. Outside of the Cotton Bowl against Florida last year, has played exceptional well. He and Deshaun White are really kind of gelling uh, on the interior of that defense in the front seven. Um, you know, guys, I thought collectively tackling was much, much better than what we saw um, down last week uh, in Waco. And the biggest compliment that I have to pay to this defense is for the aggression and the level of physicality that they played with all day. They must have listened to what to what we said on the podcast last week because it was a night and day difference for, for that group against the Cyclones. And if that defense shows up in Stillwater on Saturday, it's going to help Oklahoma's chances of winning that game a bunch because, guys, honestly, I'm not sure Oklahoma's going to score many points this weekend. It was a great effort. I mean, you mentioned the seven sacks there, and some of that was the defensive line being incredible. Mm-hmm. But a lot of times, it was Brock Purdy dropping back, standing there, standing there, not seeing anything. And it was the secondary that was causing that pressure in those sacks eventually. So I think mm-hmm. maybe one of their best games of the year. Um, and then the effort on Brees Hall. I do question what Iowa State was trying to do with that because they didn't really make a concerted effort to run the ball all that much. Um, so it's interesting that we we only gave up 58 yards there to Brees Hall running the ball, and then a week ago we gave up 300 yards rushing to Baylor. That makes me a little nervous um, going into uh, Bedlam, where uh, Oklahoma State does have a stable of backs, kind of like Baylor does, and a running quarterback. That's going to make it a lot more difficult. Um, but at least Oklahoma State does not have a Charlie Kolar, um, who Iowa State remembered in the second half that he is on their team and they can throw him the ball. And man, he he ripped us to shreds there uh, in those last couple of drives. Probably because, you know, we were defending more of the outside and the sidelines at that point, trying to keep everything in bounds. But, um, man, yeah, I, I, I'm right there with you. This might be the best defensive effort of the year, considering the opponent. You you add to the stats. I mean, obviously what they were able to hold Brees Hall to was impressive. You add to that the fact they were on the field for over 38 minutes in this mm-hmm. game. That, even, that makes those numbers even more impressive. Now, obviously, you would have liked to have seen them close out the game a little bit better on that second-to-last drive, get a stop in the game. That would have been the perfect way to kind of cap those things off. But, um, you know, they made a play when the play count. And, guys, as much as we have questioned his playing time and ragged on him, Pat Fields probably just played his best game as an Oklahoma Sooner to end his career, you know, in Norman. So um, between him and I'll be honest, guys, I I think early in the season, you know, we, we – I think D, I always thought DTY was a good player. There's a noticeable difference when DTY is on the field and playing at an elite level. Uh, this defense is very, very different. Um, you know, a lot of short passes, especially early in that game that Iowa State was connecting on, but they stayed short passes, right? They weren't short passes, you know, for five yards that went for 15. Um, so, you know, I think the only thing I really had to complain about specifically in the first half from the defense was giving up that third and 18, right? And 
would love to kind of hear your thoughts because I'm super confused by the rule of what counts as a catch versus a guy's inbounds, out of bounds, fumble, through the end zone, touchback. That whole thing was weird. But I think, Adam, you mentioned in our group chat, um, last year, Buki had an interception and a guy forced a fumble on him when the guy was out of bounds. But this week, the same exact thing happens and it's a fumble, but it it's it's not a touchback because the guy who forced the fumble was out of bounds. So, you know, I, I think the Big 12 has kind of made it known at this point that they really don't want Oklahoma winning this Big 12 championship. But uh, that was, <laughs> you're going to get us suspended, Corbin. I know. The Big 12 is going to suspend us. <laughs> I'm waiting for my mic to be cut without my knowledge here at any second because I think they're listening in on us. But, uh, <laughs> but yeah, that was one of the weirder play calls. But again, don't give up a third and 18. And nobody's, you know, even talking about that. It was strange, and I don't really understand how that happens. Like, if he's out of bounds and he just touches the ball, is the ball dead? Or is it only if he causes the fumble that then the ball is dead? And then, I guess, I don't know how you determine all that. It doesn't make sense to me. Yeah, I agree. At the end of the day, don't allow that catch to happen uh, on third and 18, no less. I thought it was pretty obvious watching the play live that it was an incomplete pass. He didn't make a football play or hold onto the ball long enough before DJ Graham knocked it out. And I think it was almost kind of a scenario where the instant replay and slowing that play down frame by frame made it seem like it was a catch more so than it actually was in real time. So kind of one of those things where uh, reviewing the play actually kind of backfired on Oklahoma. And that, that was a really tough break. I mean, you you force Iowa State into a field goal there. You get them off the field. I mean, th- there's no telling what, you know, what becomes of that as we move on later into the game. And, guys, uh, I do have to touch on it one thing. Kind of the unsung hero of this team on Saturday. Might be the best player on Oklahoma's team uh, was Michael Turk. Give that man a game ball, averaging 54.8 yards per punt in his six kicks on Saturday. I think he had a 61-yarder, uh, and he was able to pin Iowa State inside the 20 multiple times. You know, yeah, there's a, that's the performance that earned him, you know, the co-Big 12 Special Teams Player of the Week. And, guys, usually the punter on most football teams around the country is just a guy, uh, just a guy with a number and a name on the back of his uniform. But this guy, he's a legit weapon, and his ability to help flip the field has been huge for Oklahoma this season. It was on Saturday. I expect it to be a big factor the rest of the year. When you have an offense that is struggling to find itself, when they can't get any momentum consistently throughout the game, having your punter as a weapon is huge. And, guys, it's an embarrassment um, that this guy wasn't a a Ray Guy Award finalist because Michael Turk, um, absolutely outstanding punter and can't say enough good things about this guy. We just got to make sure he's not kicking burritos anytime soon and we should be in the clear heading forward, right? That seems to be two for five since then. Unbelievable. And he – I mean, that that one Saturday – that was a shank. I have not seen him yeah. like that in possibly ever. I mean, yeah. it's we're going to need special teams to be basically perfect on Saturday. No missed field goals, you know, bomb punts to just flip mm-hmm. the field position uh, because the longer Oklahoma state offense has to go the much, much, much better chance we have of, um, you know, keeping us in this game. And if you look at just the defensive performance from Saturday, take away a horse collar uh, penalty and maybe even like that weird, you know, play that we just talked about on third and 18, take that away. Iowa state was pretty much shut out all the way up until the fourth quarter. Um, and so a really impressive all around day for the defense. And I think we mentioned earlier, you know, the tackling looked a lot better. I think that was just guys flowing to the ball. We, we talked about the play a week ago where Baylor came in and just pushed the pile. And so many of you guys were standing around watching but our players were rushing to the ball. One guy wrapped up, three more guys arrived and finished him off. And that made all the difference in the world, honestly, 
uh, in the tackling. And I think it just, even though they were on the field most of the game uh, from time of possession, um, they just had the energy going into that fourth quarter to, to really finish it off. And even though they gave up two touchdowns, they, they made Iowa State really work for it. As, as great as I think they played as a group, you know, whole game perspective, I, I'm still left wanting more on the opportunities to finish drives, right? They Granted, four for 18 on third down was Iowa State. I can live with that all day long, right? And two of those came in the, the very first drive of the game. But then you look at the fourth down multiple times to get off the field, and Iowa State was five for seven. You could, you could, Mm -hmm. that game could have been over a lot earlier than it ended up being if you, you know, close out some of those drives, specifically on fourth down. So there's still room for improvement. I hope this defense doesn't lose its hunger because it performed well this week, um, because we're going to need every ounce of them come Saturday. Well, let's transition over here to uh, around the country in the world of college football, uh, starting on the national landscape. I mean, guys, there were some major storylines, what happened over the weekend. Um, and guys, there were probably nothing bigger, no better performance around the country than what we saw up in Columbus, Ohio State. My God, uh, Michigan State, we thought was going to at least put up some type of fight. We even picked them, you know, maybe to uh, stay within the point margin, the spread that Vegas had laid out. And guys, 49 to nothing at halftime. Are you kidding me? C.J. Stroud, Travion Henderson. Ohio State's got it rolling right now. And I know Michigan State statistically has the worst passing defense in the country right now, but that was still an opportunity for Ohio State. You still have to go out there and prove it. You still have to execute. Uh, And shout out to Ryan Day's team. They played fantastic, and they should be, in my opinion, the number two team when the playoff rankings come out tomorrow night. It's pretty amazing. You know, the longer the season goes on, the more and more everything just balances back to what we thought at the beginning of the year. Ohio State's a good team. Georgia's a good team. Alabama, not what they normally are, but still, uh, you know, a pretty good team. And so we spend all year kind of talking ourselves into, you know, the Michigan State and the Michigans of the world and the Cincinnati's and so on Mm -hmm. and so forth. But, you know, as the season goes on, some things remain the same. And I'm actually really interested to see what Michigan can do on Saturday against Ohio State. I, I like this Michigan team a lot. I think they're probably the best Michigan team that we've seen since I would say Lloyd Carr was the coach. Um, even yeah. better than the 2016 team um, would like to see, you know, a little bit more of a difference maker at quarterback, but you know, they got this game at home against Ohio state. Um, you know, they're looking forward to it. They have all the motivation in the world. So who knows what will happen? Yeah. I mean, I thought Ohio state would win. I didn't expect it to be quite like that. You wonder, you know, after a, a win that large, you know, what kind of Ohio state team do you see on Saturday? Right. Is there a little bit of a hangover, even though it's a huge rivalry, Really curious to see what happens in Ann Arbor. So not sure what to expect. The Ohio State minus eight line seems like a trap, right? Like that seems like easy money taking the Buckeyes, which makes me think Vegas thinks Michigan is going to make this a really, really good game. I've fallen for this trap about eight times over the past three weeks in our picks. So I'm starting to, to get used to the fact that if a line looks too good to be true, it probably is too good to be true. Guys, it's a good thing that Mel Tucker signed that contract extension before he yeah. boarded the plane to fly to Columbus. I mean, I, I I talked about it. I put it in the group chat, you know, as soon as it happened. The fact that you're willing to pay a head coach a $95 million extension after he's only coached 10 games for your program kind of seems like, I, I don't know whether LSU had an impact on that, but I think that the Spartans may kind of overplay their hand in this one. Um, and it did not work out well for them on Saturday. But um, I, I 100% disagree with that. This is new money coming in, new contract uh, with the Big Ten and their TV networks. This is going to be probably you know still higher than average, but it's going to be one of the new standards for the really good coaches in the Big Ten. So they're projecting out into the future. Yeah, it's big money today. Four years from now, I don't think we'll look at that the same. 
Yeah, I understand that, but I mean, kind of at the same time too, such a small body of work to base that off of. Like I said, you're not even hasn't even coached one full season right now, and we know that this team uh, at Sparta at Sparty is made up predominantly of transfers. That that's kind of their the bulk of their starting lineup. So um, I, I kind of get why Michigan State doing obviously having the additional revenue coming in, but it still kind of you know scratches your head, and uh, it, that was kind of highlighted even more after seeing what Ohio State did to them. So it was just kind of a Kind of a bad recipe all the way around. But one other thing I do want to get to, um, we mentioned the uh, college football playoff kind of working itself out as the season continues to progress. Oregon got blasted by Utah. Um, I made the pick in the preseason. I picked Utah to win the Pac-12. Looked like a fool uh, four weeks into the season. But now it's slowly starting to come around, and we'll see if they can uh, cap it off here in the next couple of weeks. But, guys, Dan Mullen might be looking for a JV team to coach. He had one in the bowl game apparently uh, last year against Oklahoma. Dan Mullen, man, fired uh, after, what is it now, a 4-7 and seven start uh, to the season in, in Gainesville. And now you go ahead and you throw in Florida to that list of jobs that are open right now with USC, LSU, Washington, TCU. Coaching carousel this offseason uh, is going to be tremendous. At least he has plenty of time to focus on recruiting now that his season is over. I just want to put that out there. <laughs> I heard that Bob Stoops is going to take the Florida job and bring in Lincoln Riley as his offensive coordinator. So um, can he man, can he coach both? Can Bob coach both Florida teams? Because he's also rumored to be the head guy for uh, Florida State as well. Well, not rumored. That's that's confirmed. He is the head coach at Florida State. Yeah. Everybody knows yeah. that. Um, you, know, you know Caleb's following them both wherever they decide to go. So you know. It's true. Man, Dan Mullen, what a quick fall from grace because they had a great team last year. But ever since that Cotton Bowl, he's pretty much done almost everything wrong. And normally you would say, hey, a guy that has a bad year, it's just one bad year, you know, regroup, you get another chance at it, um, you know, in most scenarios. But the wagon had turned around so hard in the other direction that I don't know how he was going to get that flipped around with the fan base, the donors, the current players, um, just everything. It felt it felt like, man, like that, mm-hmm. that just slipped away from him so quickly. And there's so many open, you know, jobs right now between USC and LSU. And um, there's going to be a carousel. Virginia Tech's a, another solid one out there. Um, so I don't know that all these programs are going to be able to find somebody that they're all in love with because I, I just don't know who you get that is going to be a home run hire in all these scenarios. Shane Beamer would be a home run hire for a lot of these programs. I know he hasn't mm-hmm. done much at South Carolina, but what he's been able to do in that short turnaround and the way he seemed to kind of captivate a program, man, that'd be a great spot for any of them. Well, I mean, I think he's far exceeded the expectations of what was kind of laid out for him going into, you know, year one as the South Carolina coach. And he's got a big one this weekend against Clemson. Uh, but no, it's been fun to see two, two guys that were hired in the SEC first year head coaches in that conference, Shane Beamer, uh, and Josh Heupel, both are making splashes in year one at those respective programs. And um, Corbin, I kind of throw this over to you to put the final touch on the national landscape. We mentioned the new set of college football playoff rankings are coming out tomorrow. Uh, three teams ahead of Oklahoma lost. Now this is potentially going to set up a top 10 matchup in Bedlam this weekend. Any thoughts on potentially maybe a two loss team still being ranked ahead of Oklahoma when this comes out on Saturday or on it's hard tomorrow night? It's hard not to say no. I mean, I, I don't think Oregon – Geez, I even say that. You wouldn't think with two teams that just got their asses whooped against, I mean, Ohio State's obviously very good, but you'd expect a little more fight out of Sparty on that game. And then I think based on what, Tyler, what you mentioned about Utah, Utah looked terrible earlier in the season. 
and they just beat Oregon by what, 30 something points. So, mm-hmm. but I have this strange feeling that at least one, if not both of them are still going to be ranked in front of Oklahoma. I don't and know probably, why. Probably Ole Miss too. Um, currently ahead of OU by a couple spots, or I guess by one spot currently. Yeah, um, they've got two losses. Yep. They struggled against Vanderbilt, but I know the playoff committee doesn't watch the games. So, well, and if there's anything that we've noticed, anytime Gary Bard is involved, you know that there's going to be some, you know, stupidity that's going to be coming out of his mouth. Some, uh, it's going to be fun to watch how he tries to validate the decisions that the committee makes whenever these rankings get rolled out tomorrow. But, uh, guys, let's look here closer to home, Big Twelve race. Um, it's the gift or it's the holiday season. And this is truly the gift that keeps on giving. That is the university of Texas in Austin guys. There was so much hype. We fired Sark. We've got Sarkeesian Alabama 2.0 is coming to Austin and guys, Texas is not bowl eligible for the first time since 1956. Couldn't happen to a better program. It's just a great all around time right now to, to be a fan of anybody other than the university of Texas. I don't know if you guys remember, but when the uh, in the summer we uh, tried to correlate programs with like fast food restaurants. You guys remember that? I don't know yeah, if you guys remember who I associated Texas with. Do you all remember? I do not. Uh, probably Burger King. Laid on. No, me. I, did, I did Starbucks because Texas mm-hmm. was like the holiday drinks of the year, right? And everybody gets really excited about them. But about the time, like you. Your, your excitement just starts to die down and then it just kind of is what it is. Like Starbucks is fine. It's great. It's a brand name. But after the holidays are over, the real Starbucks just it kind of goes back to what it was, right? And we were in the holiday cup season in the summer. And now we have gotten back to the point where this program is back to being what it is. Mm-hmm. Guys, it is crazy to think that if KU beats West Virginia and Texas loses to Kansas State, Texas will finish 10th in the Big 12 Conference. The almighty Longhorns absolutely have a chance to lose to Kansas State. And I think Kansas, Kansas is playing better. I mean, like, they've battled. They've covered two weeks in a row, which I know we'll talk about that later. I haven't been too thrilled about it. But I think they can they can try to beat West Virginia. So we could absolutely be sitting here, you know, next week and be seeing the Texas Longhorns at best ranked ninth. But there's a possibility that they are ranked 10th at the end of the season. Unfortunately, K-State might be without Skylar Thompson, so True. the Wildcats uh, have uh, a little bit of a difficulty to overcome there. But yeah, Kansas is playing much better. And in regards to Texas, this is like the, the ride at the theme park. You know, as soon as we get off, I'm running back to get in line again for next year. I'm jumping on the hype train. I'm excited to hear how good they're going to be. Probably 12-0 in 2022. I mean, mm-hmm. the, the hype is going to be real. We're going we're gonna to get all on board for it again. And I'm going to watch it all come crashing down. I'm going to enjoy every second of it. It's probably we, a top 20 team next season, right? Like preseason? Anybody guaranteed. guaranteed. When, does the, when does the hype train start rolling? Is January too soon? Or do we have to kind of get closer to spring football for that to kind of go into effect? It's been a while since we've been in a position like this where Texas hasn't gone and won the Alamo Bowl to get them really excited. So I think, you know, you have to wait at least till March, maybe April. And then you'll start, you know, hearing things go over. But guys, this is unprecedented territory for a lot of us, right? They at least get that game at the end of the year to make everybody excited again. We don't mm-hmm. get that this year. Maybe the Kansas State win does that. I don't know. And, and they don't really you, have much in the way of recruiting to look forward to by by their standards. It's not shaping up to be a great class. 
guys, we all know that once the national championship game is over and whichever ESPN beat writer releases the initial 2022 college football uh, early rankings, you know Texas is going to find their way in that 15 to 20 range. So, like I said, it's a hamster wheel. It's the gift that keeps on giving. Corbin, you touched on Skylar Thompson going down for K-State over the weekend. A quarterback on the other side of the field, you know, Gary Bohannon for Baylor, also uh, went down with a pretty serious injury, you know, kind of looks like he either tore or had a pretty serious injury to his hamstring. And that was a game, guys, that I thought that Baylor, I thought K-State was going to trip him up. But the fact that uh, uh, Baylor was able to bring in their second-string quarterback, and I thought the kid played really, really well. The fact they were able to overcome an injury from their starting quarterback and win by double digits in Manhattan, very, very good win for the Bears. And that sets up what's most likely going to be a must-win scenario for uh, Oklahoma on Saturday night, and they're going to know their fate once they kick off. Yeah, a gritty win, and now you know has Bohannon been announced out for this week? I haven't heard anything yet. I think it's probably still up in the air. Corbin, he's progressing. He's go ahead. Tyler. He's progressing. We'll see how the week goes. Well, that's I know that that's the normal normal coach speak answer that we're familiar with around here. We'll see how it goes. Don't discount Tech heading into Waco and being weird this weekend. Um, Tech's been up and down all year long, so I wouldn't discount the Red Raiders if you're looking at a, you know. What time is that game on Saturday? I don't have it up in front of me, but while you're looking it up, Tech is such an interesting team. What'd you say? 11 a.m. 11 a.m. Tech is such an interesting team where they'll they'll hold OU to like no rushing yards. They'll Mm -hmm. hold OSU to pretty much no rushing yards, but then they'll play TCU and give up a ton of rushing yards. I I just don't understand the, the Texas Tech team. So who knows? They're kind of Jekyll and Hyde um, as an entire unit. Just imagine the wind being kind of taken out of Oklahoma State's sails. If Texas Tech can figure out a way to knock off Baylor on Saturday morning, then essentially you're you're guaranteed a, a, a back-to-back big, uh, Bedlam scenario for the Big 12 Championship. So that kind of diminishes a little bit of the the hype surrounding that you know atmosphere that's going to be in Stillwater on Saturday night. And guys, Oklahoma State, they wrapped up, clinched its first appear- first trip to the Big 12 Championship game this past weekend, a 23-0 win over Texas Tech on Saturday. Guys, they I, I think if I remember the statistic correctly, they shut out Texas Tech for the first time, I think, since 1997. Cowboys have only allowed one offensive touchdown over the past four games, but this was the first shutout of Texas Tech, like I said, in almost 30 years. So Cowboys, their defense, man, they've got it rolling right now. It's going to be a big test for Oklahoma on Saturday. Yeah, you look at some of the stats that um, have been put out this week, specifically regarding the OSU Twitter account. So OSU leads the country in largest margin of victory in the last, uh, excuse me, in weeks 9 through 12 at 35 and a half points per game. And they've also allowed the fewest points in those weeks at 5.8 points per game. Guys, I understand the, you know, the talent of who they're playing against when you think of a Kansas, West Virginia, TCU Tech certainly isn't the who's who of the big 12 conference, but at the same time, you know, they've their defense throughout the entire year, the most points they've given up is 24 that coming to Iowa state and to Texas for whatever reason in the past, however long Gundy has been in Stillwater, he has not been able to figure out this game at all, but man, that defense is legit. And I don't think Jim Knowles is going to fall into kind of Gundy's footsteps and not have a plan in place for Lincoln Riley. Yeah, it's kind of flown under the radar that OSU has played the weakest teams in the Big 12 over the last couple of games. 
And so you kind of think, okay, maybe when OU comes to town, it'll be a little bit of a different story. But then at the same time, this OU offense has averaged something like 17 points a game over the last two games on offense. Um, so I, I don't know. I mean, definitely a lot more talent coming into Stillwater, but the way Caleb Williams has played, the way Lincoln Riley has called plays doesn't inspire all that much confidence. And I think that this is a perfect transition into our Oklahoma State preview. And Corbin, I'm going to throw this over to you. I know that this is a question that you put on the script for this week uh, on Saturday night, but I feel like this is a question you've had this you've had this loaded in the chamber since I guess August. So go ahead, throw the question out there. Um, I'm I'm ready for it. Before I ask, I have a question that precedes it. Are you still dying on this hill? Yes, I am. Yes, I am. <laughs> so we'll get to it. So if anybody has, has listened to us in, over the offseason or anything like that, both Adam and myself and Twitter and Soonerscoop.com all agree that Spencer Sanders is a top five quarterback in the Big 12. In my opinion, he's done nothing but solidify. Maybe he's not the best quarterback in the Big 12. He certainly has, has his flaws. But so far, every quarterback in the Big 12 has been far from perfect. But he's got a team that is 10 and 1, that is riding as high as potentially this program has ever been outside of that one Brandon Whedon year. I, he, there's no doubt in my mind Spencer Sanders is a top five quarterback in this conference. And if you can't say that, I do wonder what kind of drugs you're hiding in your house. When the initial conversation was had back in oh, the summertime, gosh. you came at me <laughs> saying that I did not have any stats to back up the claims that I was making. Well, Corbin, I brought some stats with me this time. Spencer Sanders, amongst other quarterbacks in the Big 12, he's ranked number five in touchdowns thrown. He's tied for third in passing yards. That's top five. (laughs) But he's also number nine in completion percentage, and he's tied for eighth in quarterback efficiency, only ahead of Jason Bean of the fight in Kansas Jayhawks. So while, now uh, I'll go ahead and say this, while he doesn't have the numbers to maybe back up the claim that statistically he's a top five quarterback in the league, He's been one of the better quarterbacks in this conference, I think, in various other ways. I think Spencer's decision-making has been much better. You know, he's only thrown six interceptions, I believe, on the year. He's not throwing into nearly as many tight windows as we've seen in the past. Um, And, guys, he's done a great job of throwing the ball away under pressure, taking care of it, living to fight another day instead of making a back-breaking mistake. He isn't winning games by any means, necessarily, for Oklahoma State. He's been able to kind of lean on the defense to hold serve as well as Jalen Warren. But his play and decision-making, he isn't losing games for for OSU this year like we've seen in the past. So while I think he has gotten better and better, I also think that you could plug and play five other quarterbacks in the Big 12 on that Oklahoma State team with Jalen Warren running the football with that Oklahoma State Cowboy defense. I Yes, Spencer has been very, very good this year, but I also think that Oklahoma State's defense in that running game has been able to help him out and kind of hide some of the deficiencies. Because I think if you ask a lot of Oklahoma State fans, Spencer Spencer Sanders did not take that jump from a passing standpoint. The fact that he's been able to rely on the defense, I think, has helped him out tremendously this year. Not saying he hasn't played well. He's played good football, but I'm still not quite of the belief that he's a top-five quarterback in this league if I had my chance to pick one. But if, if you're going to say that about that team, you could say the exact same thing about Oklahoma. You could say the exact same thing about Baylor. And you think the exact same thing about Iowa State. All the mm-hmm. four bigger names. I know Iowa State's underperformed this year, but they all have relied on their defense. That's how most of them have won the game. So that's a wash to me. Well, Tyler, you mentioned the conversation. It was April 1st. 
So April Fool's Day, there's some James foolish Thomas takes Steve. going on on that oh, podcast. God, Definitely go back and, and listen to it. I listened to it, and I brought out some of the best quotes that Tyler mentioned. Uh, starting off with top two quarterbacks in the Big 12, obviously Spencer Radler and Brock Purdy. Don't even need to talk about it. Third on the list, you had Skylar Thompson, who I mentioned had never thrown for more than 12 touchdowns in a season. He's currently at nine touchdowns this year. He's hurt, uh, Adam. He is now. He wasn't earlier. Uh, he was fourth, earlier in the season. Fourth, you have Max Duggan. You called Max Duggan a better athlete than Spencer Sanders, which Corbin said was absurd. That seems you know, pretty accurate still to this day. And then fifth, you said, whoever starts at Texas, saying I'd rather take them simply because Sarkeesian is calling plays. He has a track record of success with QBs. That turned out really well. You mentioned Skylar Thompson would have a better season than Spencer Sanders. And then you also mentioned Max Duggan's situation is much better than Spencer Sanders. You had some freezing, freezing cold takes on that podcast. Tyler is walking away from the mic right now. Probably a good thing so he doesn't continue to uh, to say dumb things about Spencer Sanders. Yes, the Cowboys are not winning because of him necessarily. He's not probably not even the MVP of that team, but he's he's definitely a top five quarterback. They would not be where they are without his play. What's interesting, kind of looking you know more towards this weekend, is I thought what perfectly described Spencer Sanders was the fact of his six interceptions on the year. Three came against Baylor, who we all think is one of the best defenses in the league. We also think Iowa State is one of the best defenses in the league, and he had zero. He played probably his best game in a loss against Iowa State, where mm-hmm. he had no interceptions, versus a win against Baylor, where he had three. That If that does not describe Spencer Sanders' career as an Oklahoma State Cowboy, I really don't know what does, because that's the type of guy he, he is. Now, what concerns me most heading into this weekend is, is his legs. Um, you have to be smart in the way you attack him. And this defense did nothing but bring pressure against Brock Purdy time and time again. You miss a tackle against Brock Purdy, you can probably catch up to him again pretty quick. If you miss a tackle against Spencer Sanders, I think that's a different ball game you're working with here. So it'll be very interesting to see how Alex Grinch and company handle this uh, moving forward. But again, like I mentioned earlier, I don't think that offensive line is great. If we can get home to Spencer Sanders rushing four, five on occasion, that that sets this team up really well to pin Oklahoma State deep, give the offenses plenty of time to uh, get some reps underneath them, hopefully find some rhythm in Stillwater. Um, but guys, you know, I don't know how confident I am heading into Saturday. I'll just put it that way. I thought I was going to be answering a simple question for a statement that I made earlier in the year. And God, I did not know that the receipts were going to be brought up and going to be stepping foot in front of a firing squad with Adam pulling the trigger. But uh, no, I, God, yeah, it's <laughs> uh, no, I, I guess we, we can talk about it now. We transition to this and Corbin, you brought up when Oklahoma state has the football, this is a really, really good, um, you know, Oklahoma state offense, but it doesn't look like some of the, you know, high powered offenses like we've seen in the past where you've got, you know, Brandon Whedon or Mason Rudolph slinging it all over the yard. This is a Cowboy offense predicated upon their ability to be the more dominant team up front, lean on their ability to run the football. We've seen Oklahoma State's offensive line play really well, especially in the back half of the season under the leadership of offensive line uh, coach Charlie Dickey. Uh, they're averaging around 195 yards a game uh, running the football, and it all starts with Jalen Warren. And, guys, this dude is a tank. 
Five foot eight, 220 pounds, averaging close to 100 yards a game, 10 touchdowns on the year. He reminds me a little bit of Samaj Piran in a way. Tough physical runner, stays, you know, runs underneath his pads, has a really quick burst, usually takes more than one guy to bring him down. Um, the running game has, like I said earlier, the running game has really been able to kind of take the pressure off of Spencer Sanders throwing the football. Um, like I said, Spencer's been really good at times, especially over the last month of the season, but the Oklahoma State offensive identity is running the football with Jalen Warren, mixing it in with a little bit of the quarterback running game, play action down the field to guys like Tay Martin, Brennan Presley. If Oklahoma wants to have any shot in beating the Cowboys on Saturday night, they have to stop Oklahoma State's rushing attack, force Spencer Sanders to beat them with his arm. While Oklahoma State's offensive line has been dominant at times this year in run blocking, they aren't nearly as good holding up in pass protection. Now, that spells trouble with Oklahoma's defensive line. If the Sooners can force Oklahoma State into obvious passing downs, you've got Woody Washington and Key Lawrence out on the perimeter. Trust them to be able to hold up in man coverage. Commit yourself to stopping the run. If there's a single position group that I think can have the biggest impact on this game for Oklahoma, it's the defensive line. They've got to play well on Saturday night for OU to have a chance. You know, what was interesting to me was when I did look up the Oklahoma State stats, Jalen Warren is only averaging 4.9 yards a carry. I expected that number to be higher. Um, Dominic Richardson, only 5.4 yards. And then Desmond Jackson, who just recently returned from injury, 3.7 yards a carry. So a lot of those stats are against Texas Tech, which really did, um, you know, limit the the Cowboys there. They have a nice three-headed monster there in the running game. And then add in Spencer Sanders and what he can do with his legs. Um, that's nice, but... At the same time, there's there's no one guy that I'm I'm looking at going, man, this guy is kind of wowing me with with everything. It's just kind of a methodical, consistent approach that they they take, and they don't have to get a whole lot with what the defense does for them. So I'm sure they don't press very hard on offense. It's really more of a ball control, um, limit mistakes type of, of of game plan that they have. And so you look at that and go, hey, if if OU can take go into this game with uh, what we did against Brees Hall and kind of shut down that running game and make Spencer Sanders beat you through the air. You have to feel good if, if that's what OU can get out of that. But man, with, with three guys, they're just coming in fresh throughout the game. That's going to be really tough. And I, I'm, I'm looking to see, you know, can the Sooners get to that fourth quarter with, you know, within a touchdown, within a score, uh, whatever it might be. And can they kind of hold at that point and not let it just kind of fall apart after getting beat up all game? Well, one solution there is to not, you know, have Oklahoma State with 38 minutes of offense like the Cyclones had on Saturday, right? Get off the field, and we need the offense to put some drives together, which this is probably going to be the, that tallest task that they've seen all season, having the ability to put drives together against this Oklahoma State defense. So I'm I'm very nervous, very concerned about Saturday, but the thing that kind of has, has been a constant in Bedlam series of late is the fact that Mike Gundy finds a way to just – stop doing what his team does best in Bedlam. So really curious about that. Tyler shifting to the offensive side of the ball. We got to have some sort of life, but what have you seen so far out of Oklahoma State's defense that gives you some peace to sleep tonight or maybe gives you some nightmares looking into Saturday? Um, if I'm leaking Ryland, I'm trying to scheme for the game this weekend. I'm again, I'm not getting much sleep whatsoever. I mean, to me, uh, Caleb Williams versus that Jim Knowles defense, that's the matchup, isn't it? I mean, that's what everyone is excited to see. Oklahoma State legitimately has an argument that they have the second-best defense in the country behind Georgia. It's a bunch of guys out there playing. They've got 22, 23, and I think even a 24-year-old out there playing, very similar to like a BYU type thing where you've got a bunch of grown men out there playing against kids. You know, th This is a group that's played a ton of football together in this scheme. 
Um, Lincoln is going to have to figure out a way to outscheme this group because OSU plays hard, solid, fundamental football that relies heavily on creating pressure. Um, they are a very you know heavy blitz uh, defense. Lincoln's play design, I think, this weekend is is going to be crucial. You're going to see Drake Stoops if he's back. You're going to see him running around a lot pre-snap to try to help Caleb Williams recognize what coverage OSU is in, where the blitzes are are going to be coming from. Uh, and guys, you know, very similar to what we talked about whenever um, Oklahoma's playing defense, committing themselves to stopping the run. OSU, I think, is going to do the exact same thing. They're going to load up the box. Uh, take Kennedy Brooks, Eric Bray, maybe Marcus Major, put him on a milk carton. I don't know why he's not playing whatsoever. Force Oklahoma to beat you over the top. And I, guys, I think I think Oklahoma is going to have opportunities in this game with their receivers to win one-on-one matchups. Guys like Marvin Mims, Mike Woods, Jaden Hazelwood, they are going to have to win their matchups down the field because just like I said with Alex Grinch, OSU is going to go all out to stop the run, force Caleb Williams to beat him with his arm, an area, though, guys, where I think Oklahoma could find some some success if they block it upright is in the quarterback running game with Caleb Williams. I think OU is going to see a lot of third and twos, third and fours. Caleb Williams having that added dimension as a quarterback, being able to run the football is something Oklahoma has to be able to take advantage of on Saturday night. For me, as far as what I want to see from Lincoln Riley, I, I first want him to you know, get out there and test the run. And if it's working, stick with it. Like, just keep running that until it doesn't work anymore. Um, but secondly, and I don't want him to be necessarily cute in every aspect, but this is it. Like pull out all the stops for it. Every single wrinkle that you have needs to be thrown out there. Um, we see it against Texas every year. Like for example, this year where they had the direct snap to Kennedy Brooks does the fake pitch motions out, you know, has the lead blocker in front of him. We need to see that. I think we need to see, um, you know, if Mario Williams is going to throw a pass, we saw that earlier in the year. We need to know if Eric Gray can throw a pass. I want to see if if Spencer Rattler can get on the field at the same time as Caleb Williams. Um, I want to see anything and everything that Lincoln has. Throw the kitchen sink at this Oklahoma mm-hmm. State defense. Give them looks that they haven't seen before. Try to confuse them. Um, try to take some pressure off of Caleb Williams. And at least, you know, do what you can to give yourself a little bit of a lead or a cushion if you can at any point in the game. Put the pressure back on the Cowboys and what they can uh, can do offensively. And so, you know, just just throw everything you have. And then, you know, take your chances in Arlington, you know. You may have thrown the kitchen sink at them at that point, but get out of that environment and still water, get to your second home and, uh, and get into a familiar location and position for this program. We all know about the leader of that Oklahoma state defense. It starts with, you know, middle linebacker, Malcolm, Rod- Malcolm Rodriguez, excuse me, um, arguably the, arguably the best middle linebacker in college football. We found out earlier today that he was kind of robbed of being a finalist for the Buckets award, but another guy guys to keep an eye on uh, when OSU's defense is out on the field I got to give credit to my guy, Nigel, uh, Oklahoma State grad, a guy for, you know, kind of giving me a little bit of a scouting report on the pokes. One guy you've got to pay attention to if you're an Oklahoma fan is defensive end Colin Oliver. He's the second string defensive end for this for this group, but he leads the team in sacks. For some, for whatever reason, Edmund Santa Fe guys seem to always ball out for the Cowboys when uh, these two teams line up to play on Saturdays. So um, Oliver is a guy that, He's kind of a, a leaner frame, very similar to like a Will McDonald. He's going to use his speed and his quickness off the edge. And whether it's tackles like Tyrese Robinson or Anton Harrison or even Eric Swinson after the way he played against Iowa State, any of those three guys that are at tackle for Oklahoma, I think Oliver has a chance to really take advantage of those matchups and get after Caleb Williams. I think you'll see Oklahoma maybe go with some more 12 personnel in this game to help, you know, have an extra tight end in the box to help, you know, in run block and pass protection. And, guys, one other thing, Adam, you hit the nail on the head in this. 
Oklahoma State, even going back to last year, we heard so many good things statistically. Uh, you know, the, the reputation about that Oklahoma State defense going into Bedlam. And then Lincoln figured out ways leading up to it. He out-schemed uh, Jim Knowles in Oklahoma State. And OU, I think they put 38 up on him last last year. So, again, it's Bedlam, Mike Gundy. He always shrinks up in, the, in this game. I'm not ruling Oklahoma out of this game completely, but from everything that I've seen offensively over this team, especially the last two to three weeks, a very, very tall task ahead of for him on Saturday, and Lincoln and Caleb have got to get it figured out shortly. How many points does the Sooner offense need to score for you to be comfortable? Okay, if, if, if going into this weekend, if I said, oh, you scored X amount of points, you'd be confident, like, okay, then we won. What is that number? I think the first team to 24 wins the game. Okay. Yeah, I'd not, probably go not a to give away further. my pick. <clears throat> yeah, I'd probably go a little bit there. I'd say – 30 would make me feel really good just considering that like this defense was great against Iowa state. They were not as good against Baylor, but we've seen, we've seen some Jekyll and Hyde in this team and Mm -hmm. I I just don't know what to expect. No, just kind of one last thing to put a bow on this and we'll move on to beers and bets. You know, we're, we're all except for Adam, we're going to be watching this game on the couch, but I can't even imagine, you know, how wild and crazy that atmosphere is going to be on Saturday night. I mean, just the storyline surrounding this game alone, What's at stake for both teams, especially for Oklahoma, when this is essentially a must-win game for them to have a chance of winning a seven-straight Big 12 title? This weekend, to me, kind of has a little bit of a different feel to, to it than years past, and here's why. You know, Bedlam is typically a matchup, uh, a chance for Oklahoma State to kind of make their season. You know, Mike Gunning in the post, they're usually a seven, eight, nine-win football team, but if they can knock Oklahoma off, you know, their season's made no matter what happens. This year is different to me because, guys, Oklahoma State is legitimately two wins away, not from just winning a Big 12 championship, but I think that they could make the college football playoff. There's a lot on the line in Stillwater at 6.30 on Saturday night, and I actually think that you know this could be Gundy's most complete team ever, and I honestly think that the pressure is more on him in this game than it is Lincoln Riley, considering how well Oklahoma State has played up to this point, especially defensively. Oklahoma has struggled all year. They look like a shell of themselves, especially offensively. Uh, they've got a freshman quarterback in Caleb Williams, the worst offensive line, I think, in, in the Lincoln-Riley era. And the fact that Oklahoma State gets a struggling Oklahoma team on their home field in the regular season finale, this is a huge game. It's no wonder that this is going to be a top-10 matchup, and I, I can't wait for this thing to kick off on Saturday. Do you guys think Oklahoma State does control their own destiny to the playoff? I do. Yeah. Yes. I mean, they're going to have two very impressive wins to to wrap up the year if they get there. And I think some of the other teams will, will knock themselves out. Notre Dame is an interesting one that no one's everyone just completely forgot about. You know, after they played Wisconsin, Cincinnati, um, everyone just forgot about them. And they've been good, I guess, but they really haven't played hardly anyone um, so far. And so they won't have a championship, a conference championship to their name. They mm-hmm. don't really have. I guess Wisconsin, the team they played in Wisconsin at the beginning of the year is not the team that we have now in Wisconsin. So I guess that's their best win at this point. But, man, I, w- I would have to feel really good if you're Oklahoma State about controlling your own destiny and getting into a playoff game. Yes, yeah, just to kind of put, you know, pen to paper here. So Oklahoma State is currently ranked ninth for the rankings tomorrow. Obviously, you would assume Michigan State drops below Oklahoma State. The question to me that could potentially – make or break this for the pokes if they went out is how low does Oregon drop? Can Oregon drop five, six spots down after a loss to Utah who was ranked? And we know how this committee loves a ranked loss. 
that's kind of the question to me because then you look forward on the schedule. So Michigan State and Ohio, uh, excuse me, Michigan and Ohio State will play each other obviously this week. You would think Ohio State wins that game. Michigan then falls behind. So what's left in front of you? You've kind of got Georgia is kind of a lock at this point. Even if they lose to Alabama, I still think they're in the playoff. That also could keep Oklahoma State out as if Bama wins the SEC championship. Um, but then you okay, so Oregon's going to be out of the picture most likely. Um, Cincinnati, does an undefeated Cincinnati get in over a one-loss Big 12 champion Oklahoma State? I can see that happening, to be honest. Oklahoma State is not a blue blood brand. And so that, to me, gives me a little bit of pause. So I'm not under the impression that they are for sure a lock if they went out, regardless if it's OU or, you know, obviously then they'd probably play Baylor if Baylor wins this weekend in the Big 12 championship. I'm not under the impression that they're a lock. I think they have too many big names in, in front of them. And to be honest, if Bama goes and loses a close game to Georgia, a two-loss Bama will be ranked in front of a one-loss Oklahoma State. I have no doubt about that. Whether you feel right about it or not, that absolutely will happen. Well, it's it's hard to predict because there's been so much inconsistency from the from this committee and what Gary Barta has said week in and week out. You know, we can kind of we can try to project what we think is going to happen because years past what the committee says that they value, whether it is head to head, you know, the conference championship game having that extra data point. Um, I would find it very hard to believe that Alabama, who has kind of struggled year in and all, all year, they've kind of, you know, skated by the skin of their teeth. If you lose to Georgia, you've already got the loss to Texas A&M, a team that was unranked at the time. I think to me, if this kind of plays out, if it goes chalk, how we maybe kind of expected to this late in the season, Georgia's going to take care of Alabama. Alabama's done. Ohio State or Michigan, the winner of that game, probably wins the Big Ten. That's going to be your number two seed. Then I think essentially – for the three and four spots, it's going to come down to an argument between Cincinnati, Oklahoma State, and Notre Dame. And I've that Cincinnati's in no matter what because they've got the head-to-head win over Notre Dame. So are you going to value a one-loss Big 12 champion, Oklahoma State, that will have a better whole resume, a better strength of schedule, more quality wins over a Notre Dame whose biggest argument is going to be the fact that their only loss is also to a team that you have in the playoffs. So – I think that it might be a little bit too early to tell, but if I'm Oklahoma State, take care of business this weekend, uh, beat Baylor in the Big 12 Championship for a second time, I find it very hard to believe that they're not going to take one of those four spots. I can absolutely see Alabama staying above Oklahoma State with a second loss. Do you remember How the cl- outcry? Do you remember the outcry from the big ESPN network? when Georgia um, lost to Bama a few years ago, but they played them really close and it was a crazy win. And how could you not put Georgia in the college football playoff? And thankfully the committee didn't, because I think that would have been to OU's, um, OU's downfall at that point. But you can't, you can't tell me that that brand and that three-letter SEC logo will not matter. It does matter. We all know it matters. And I think if Bama goes in and they play Georgia close, a three to five, maybe even a seven point loss that maybe is like a touchdown at the end of the game, I would be, I would bet money Bama is ranked in front of Oklahoma State. I don't think the committee would care, but if that were to happen, if Georgia does beat Alabama and Alabama does have two losses, essentially by putting Alabama in the playoff, you're telling the college football world basically losses do not matter. If you are the right brand, if you have the logo on your helmet, if you've got the uh, you know the tradition and you've got the pedigree of a national championship program that Alabama is the most dominant team, you know in the last you know ten to fifteen years, why even play the games at this point? If you kind of already know going into the year 
who the top four or five teams are going to be. Why even have this discussion whatsoever if you're not going to honor the results that are being played on the field? That is a playoff game for Alabama. If you want to make it into the top four, that's a college football playoff quarterfinal that OU's going to or that Alabama is going to play in Atlanta here in two weeks. I disagree. The message is not that the games don't matter. The message is to expand the freaking playoff. That's the message if that happens. Well, speaking of losing games but winning, uh, that kind of segues into beers and bets because we're all losers <laughs> the, there, the cor- in a sense. But, but Corbin, it's also kind of bullshit too because if if Alabama loses to Georgia, you're not going to put a two-loss Alabama in the four seed. So essentially you're going to have to put them at number three behind Georgia and Ohio, and Ohio State. So you mean to tell me that you're going to put a one-loss Big 12 championship Oklahoma State, an undefeated Cincinnati, ranked behind a two-loss Alabama that didn't even win their own conference? I'm not saying that Bama would still be ranked in the top four. I'm saying they'd still be ranked in front of Oklahoma State. And I think that would would allow the argument to be less if you went went four through six, if you went Cincinnati, Alabama, Oklahoma State. As the playoff committee, you now gave yourself a cushion where it's no longer a comparison between Oklahoma State and Cincinnati, a power five team and a non-power five team. You almost give yourself like a little pillow right between the two to create a little bit less of an argument for, I think people would be nuts if a one loss conference champion um, Oklahoma State football team did not get above, especially ending the year beating OU and beating Baylor. Uh, you, You almost need something in there to kind of protect yourself. And that's where I can see them keeping Bama in front of Oklahoma state. Does that make sense? It makes sense in my mind. It it does. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of against it because Oklahoma state would be more deserving in my opinion than Alabama, but also kind of the crimson color, you know, me wearing the crimson color glasses. How funny would it be if Oklahoma state did get left out? I mean, to me, whoever wins the big 10, to me, whoever wins a big 12 championship should, should go to the playoff over a two loss Alabama team. Yeah. That's how it should be. Yep, but, we agree. All right, guys. All right. So, yeah, moving on, as Adam tried to uh, to get in there, clearly we were going on a rant. We'll get back on track here. Uh, first off, as we head into beers and bets, I just want to let you both of you know you're welcome. All right? So, 0-5 from me last week really brings everybody back into play here. Uh, guys, I've got two little, uh, you know, five bets a week groups that I'm in. I went a combined one and nine last week. So, I am just on an all sort of low moment here. Uh, 29, 34 and two for myself. Adam moves into first place with a four and one week, 30, 34 and one. Tyler, another four and one week, 29, 34 and two. In my opinion, ever since we've made this damn trophy, I've been sinking. Uh, so I think I'm just cursed from this deal. But guys, I tell you what, just for sheer competitive and entertainment sake, the fact that we are all this close with two weeks to go is fun. Um, and so we're going to have, you know, 10 picks each, right? We're ending on championship weekend. Is that how we're doing this? Yep. Perfect. So That's let's get right into it, guys. Not waste any time. Adam, start us off with who you got this week. Yeah. The reverse picks worked well last week. I'm sticking with the strategy. So let's lead it off. Western Kentucky at Marshall. I love what Bailey Zappi and Jarrett Stearns are doing with the Hilltoppers there. Uh, so that means I am going to pick the Thundering Herd minus one. I'm calling BS on that. How much do you really know about Western Kentucky and Marshall? I have both uh, Western Kentucky players on my college fantasy football team, so I do know a little bit about them. Marshall, I'm less familiar with. (laughs) Yeah, we'll go with that. Tyler? 
I'm uh, just over here spit shining this trophy. Um, guys, I'm, I had a full time COVID spread. Stop it. Yeah, we, I'm, we're not even going to touch that. We can save that for another podcast. No, uh, four and one for me. First four and one week. I, I forgot what that was like. Uh, but no, I'm, I'm like a, I'm like a horse at the Kentucky Derby. I'm peaking, coming around that final term. I'm breaking late. Uh, but no, f- first pick for me. I'm going out to Big Ten country. We talked about it earlier. Ohio State at Michigan. Buckeyes have dominated the game the last two decades, winning 17 of the last 19 matchups. Michigan State hasn't won since the 2011 game in Ann Arbor, but I know the Wolverines are due. I think that this is the best team that Jim Harbaugh has had during his time at Michigan, but I don't think the Wolverines have enough firepower on offense to keep up with C.J. Stroud, Travion Henderson, those Buckeye receivers. Ohio State is 6-2 and two against the spread in its last eight games, and I think they moved that to 7-2 and two with a win in Ann Arbor on Saturday. So uh, give, me the, give me Ohio State and give me the points. I have no reason to back this, but I feel like Ohio State actually plays better against Michigan in Ann Arbor than they do in Columbus. Um, and so that's something to kind of think about. Again, I'd have to look up the scores to confirm that. That line seems too damn good to be true. And so I've just decided to stay away from it. Um, so for me, I'm going out to SEC, Ole Miss at Mississippi State, Egg Bowl. I believe that's on Thursday night, a little Thanksgiving action, yeah. maybe Friday. I don't remember Thursday. Yep. I am banking on Kiffin. And, um, oh gosh, I'm drawing a a blank. Mike Leach, thank you, the Pirate. I'm banking on them scoring points here. I'm going to take the over 61 and a half. That seems low. I might be falling for the bait like I've done the past few weeks, but I'm going to take the over 61 and a half in that game. That seems almost too good to be true. It's such a low number. You've got two offensive-minded head coaches with two really good quarterbacks. I don't know what Vegas is thinking there. When it's too good to be true, pick the opposite. That's my strategy. I'm sticking with it. Notre Dame at Stanford. Notre Dame's rolling right now. Stanford is going the opposite direction. So that means I'm taking the Cardinal plus 19. I'm going to the exact same game, Adam, but I am going opposite of your logical or whatever type of thinking that you're doing this week. It paid off for you last week, but no. Uh, Notre Dame beat Georgia Tech last week 55 to nothing. The Irish have covered six games in a row. Flip it over to the other side. Stanford has lost six games in a row. Why they're paying David Shaw $8.9 million in Palo Alto is beyond me. He's stealing more money from his employer uh, than Sherry Cole did in her final two or three years. Uh, 19 is a lot of points on the road, but Notre Dame has got it rolling. So give me the Irish to cover the 19 um, and keep the train rolling. That's a big one for Cincinnati, too, if they can pull it off. I look forward to um, not having anything in play and just watching you guys battle that one out. So for me, um, I'm taking Georgia at Georgia Tech. Um, Georgia's done well for me all year long outside of an exception or two. So give me the dogs minus 35. It's a big line, dogs. but I think that team's going to be hungry heading into Bama next week. I've got Kentucky at Louisville. I do think Kentucky is the better team here, so I, I would – prefer to pick the Wildcats, but since I'm picking the opposite of my instincts, I'm going with uh, Louisville minus two and a half. I know they have some good players. It is at home, but I think just Kentucky is the better overall team here. I know that's confusing. I'm picking the opposites on everything. Paid off for you last week. So if it's not broke, don't fix it. Uh, Next pick for me, Wake Forest favored by four and a half traveling on the road to take on Boston college. Wake Forest guys kind of, kind of got brought back down to earth this past weekend, getting blown out by Clemson. Uh, and now they need to win at Boston College on Saturday to clinch the Atlantic Division and the ACC. 
Um, while Boston College is bowl eligible right now in the season, they do have some pretty bad home losses to NC State and Florida State. I think the Demon Deacons have more firepower offensively. They have something more to play for in this matchup. So I think they do just enough in the second half to cover the four-and-a-half number here on Saturday. I am just now seeing I've got a mega-heavy SEC board. Uh, give me Alabama on the road at Auburn. Bama did not play well last week. Maybe they were looking Sons towards the Iron Bowl, which I really don't know why, because Auburn's not that good. But Bo Nix is out. I think Bama may struggle to score just a little bit, because I think that Auburn defense is actually pretty decent. But I just don't expect that Auburn offense to do much. I could be wrong. I've been wrong the past couple of weeks. So Bama minus 19 and a half in the Iron Bowl. For number four, I've got K-State at Texas. Two teams that might be without their starting quarterbacks. No Bijan Robinson here. Uh, a very good K-State defense. So uh, normally I would pick the under here, but I am doing the opposite. So I'll go over 53 and a half. <laughs> that seems crazy. That line seems so low. Pick number four for me. I'm going out to Pac-12 country. BYU favored by six and a half points. Traveling out to the Coliseum. Take on USC. With a victory inside the Coliseum on Saturday night, BYU can capture a 10-win season. USC, in my opinion, has become the laughing stock in the Pac-12, um, especially after losing by double digits in four of the last five weeks. Guys, we all saw the picture on social media of USC and UCLA, the crowd right there before kickoff. I think that picture alone speaks volumes on why the Pac-12 should have absolutely no say in the big picture of college football. Um, but uh, strictly because of that, BYU is more talented. Can't believe I'm saying that in a game that involves USC. So uh, give me the Cougars to cover the six and a half against the Trojans. Staying in the SEC, I've got AM minus six and a half at LSU. I was a little bit worried about this game. I think this is the last home game, obviously, for Coach O and uh, the Tigers down there. But then, you know, Elias Ricks, the former five-star, you know, kid uh, has already, you know, entered the transfer portal. So I'm kind of under the impression maybe LSU just doesn't really care. Uh, so, yeah, they're baiting me in, guys. Vegas is doing it again. I already feel it coming. A&M minus six and a half in Death Valley. If you love 11 a.m. games, you'll probably love my final pick. It is a 9 a.m. local time kickoff for the Boise State Broncos at San Diego Aztecs. Um, playing in L.A. and... San Diego State is the better team here. They're 10-1 and one on the year, uh, only losses to Fresno State, which is very respectable. Boise State, on the other hand, has four losses, a little bit unusual for uh, them by their standards. They're going on the road. They're playing a 9 a.m. local kickoff the day after Thanksgiving. I don't see how the Broncos can win this one. They're favored by two and a half, and since I'm picking the opposite, give me the Broncos. For my fifth and final pick to round out my card, I'm going to go against a team that has played really, really good football the last couple of weeks. I'm going out to Lawrence, Kansas. West Virginia favored by 15.5 in this one. West Virginia, with a win on Saturday, becomes bowl eligible. I know Kansas has shown some life over the last couple of weeks, beating Texas in Austin. Yes, you heard that right, beating Texas in Austin in football. Go Sark. They almost took down Steve uh, TCU a week ago. But Neil Brown's group, led by Seth Dagan, that Mountaineer defense, I think they go into Kansas on Saturday. They need to become bowl eligible. That's big for that program. I think they knock off the Jayhawks by 17-plus. So give me West Virginia and the points in this one. This is the time where typically I'd follow right in the footsteps, right? Kansas has been my bread-and-butter team. I pick them every single week. I gave them a pass because they covered against Texas. Well, now they covered against TCU. I am off this Kansas bandwagon. It, it, it treated me well. It's time to move on. So I'm going to stay right here at home, Oklahoma, at Oklahoma State, OSU, minus four. 
I don't trust this offense right now. I hope I'm wrong. My thought process here is that if OSU covers, I'm happy because I at least got a win in beers and bets. If they don't, it probably means Oklahoma wins. My gut says Oklahoma State probably wins by three, so I lose both. That's kind of like where my luck is at the moment. But I'm going to stick with it anyway. Pokes minus four, which now heads into our Bedlam score predictions. Uh, Adam, start us off. How do you see Saturday going? Not too well. Um, I don't have confidence in the quarterback position for OU, and I don't have a lot of confidence in Lincoln to help out our quarterbacks to be successful. Two weeks in a row, I haven't seen it really where he's been able to put them in a position to succeed. The defense is starting to come around, but man, this OSU machine is just rolling right now. And if the only thing I can hang my hat on is Mike Gundy going into a shell, that's really not enough for me to, to predict an OU win here. So uh, I've got uh, Oklahoma State 24, OU 13. God, 13 points for Oklahoma. Um, I'm kind of in the same line of thinking as you, Adam. I, I can't believe I'm going to do this. I know that Oklahoma is a 10 and 1 football team, but. I can't figure this team out. This has been the craziest year following an OU football team that I can remember in quite some time. Um, I know that I should have some confidence in this team, the defense especially after what they've done uh, the last couple of weeks, three quarters against Baylor, and then the other than two possessions against Iowa State, they were fantastic a week ago. I know that I know that Mike Gundy is 2-14 and 14 against Oklahoma. That was the one stat alone that I thought, okay, there's no way I can pick against the Sooners on this one. But – the offense has not been able to figure it out against elite competition by this conference's uh, standards. I can't pick Oklahoma to go into Stillwater. I think that that is going to be a hostile environment. That's essentially going to be a black hole on Saturday night in Stillwater. They've been looking forward to this matchup ever since the SEC news broke. They've wanted to you know, get one last crack at Oklahoma. Um, it's for all the marbles in Stillwater, and I just can't pick OU to do it. So um, I've got Oklahoma State winning this one 27-17. to 17. Um, and OU is not going to be playing for a Big 12 championship for the first time in seven years. I'm right in line with you guys. Um, my gut says I'm probably wrong about this, and this team does come out and play really well. Lincoln Riley's got some things up his sleeve. I, I think you have to take into account that, you know, he mentioned his press conference that, you know, we had position groups out last week heading into Iowa State due to flu and things like that. I think that does matter. Um, but I don't think it's enough. I think this team battles. I think they look pretty well, but I got Oklahoma State coming out on top. It makes no sense when you think of Gundy and what he's done recently that Oklahoma State would pull out a close one, but I got that what that exactly is what's happening. So Oklahoma State 24, Oklahoma 17, and chalk it up to one of the more disappointing seasons that we've had around here in a long time. And I hope that if Oklahoma State does win, that we are in this conference at least one more year. Guys, if we go out on a freaking loss in Bedlam, even though we have owned this rivalry since well before I even, you know, planted myself on this earth, we will never freaking hear the end of it. What would be awesome is if we can string two in a row and then freaking leave the conference. And that would be a perfect way to end it. It would just be like Texas holding – uh, holding it over Texas A&M's head with the Justin Tucker walk-off field goal the last time that they actually played. It would be the exact same scenario. Guys, before we get to the bonus question, we are gonna we will wrap it up on a positive note. Sooner fans, I promise, talking about some Thanksgiving. But Adam Corbin, I want you to finish this sentence. Oklahoma wins Bedlam on Saturday night if... If Lincoln actually gets out of his own head and just calls what works. I, I think there's enough there offensively that we can put up the points. Um, but he has to come out with his his best game plan of the year. If Caleb plays like he did against Texas, 
I mean, we haven't seen him play at that level since then. So we're going to need a game like that, possibly need a better game than what we saw against Texas, which is hard to imagine. I'm going to say Oklahoma wins if the defensive line can string together another dominant performance two weeks in a row. I think that uh, we're going to struggle moving the football altogether. I don't know how many points we are going to score, but I think our defense, if the defensive line can dominate, if they can force Spencer Sanders into doing something he does, hasn't done as much this year, if he can revert back to his old ways, give OU a couple extra possessions, OU will have a chance. Uh, but it's it's a tall task uh, and a big ask for Oklahoma on Saturday. All right, bonus question. Let's wrap it up here. Thanksgiving dinner. It's coming on Thursday. It's finally here. We look forward to the food every single year. Adam, Thanksgiving dinner, what is on your plate? I got something new this year. I made it yesterday for Friendsgiving. It's a pumpkin pie dip. It looks like hummus, tastes like pumpkin pie. You dip graham crackers or apple slices in it. It turned out really well, so it's, uh, it's a new thing for this year. <laughs> What's on the you plate, take, though? You're going you got to take the, your word on that. Everything? Everything? Yeah. Uh, yeah. You're going through the line. What, what are you All, all the normal things, you know, the, dip. the ham, turkey, the dinner rolls. Um, I like a little a little pretzel salad, a little pumpkin dip, uh, noodles, uh, you know, sweet potato uh, pie as well. So uh, I got a little everything. Stuffing. <laughs> yeah. I, I can be whatever's in the line I'm taking. Uh, so that's just, yeah. But to be honest, guys, uh, a lot of the same things are on my dish that is on Adam's probably not the pumpkin dip. That's a, that's an experiment. I may not go down quite yet. Um, uh, but, uh, I was talking to my girlfriend about this earlier. What's the most important thing on your plate? Cause to me, there's one answer that is obvious above the rest. It's, it's the glue food to Thanksgiving for me. And that is mashed potatoes. That's the most important thing on the plate. I never have mashed potatoes for Thanksgiving. I'm a sweet potato guy. Hey, guys, it's been fun doing the pod, but that just about did it. For me, so. <laughs> uh, before I give you my plate, I can go ahead and settle this argument right now. Are you guys ham or turkey eaters? Turkey. Uh, ham. Adam. Oof. Adam, good job. No, if uh, if I'm going <laughs> no, through the lines. If, if, it's, if, it's, if it's dark meat turkey, I'll tear it up. But the white meat portion on the turkey is yeah. disgusting. You got to cover it with gravy, slide it on off the mashed potatoes. But no, you give me a nice ham, a little bit of dressing. I can't believe neither one of you said green bean casserole. That's a staple. That's on a Thanksgiving staple. plate. You got to have a little mac That's- and cheese, hot rolls. This might be, you might get some dirty looks here. You got to have about three to four deviled eggs on the side on the no. Thanksgiving table to kind of round things out. And then you go back for the pie, look forward to that big Thursday afternoon nap. You got football on. Nothing really beats the afternoon nap after a Thanksgiving lunch. So uh, pretty good. Guys, anything else before we get out of here? I, how do you cook your turkeys? That If you guys aren't turkey people, how do you cook them? Is it just fry it? No, you inject Okay, good. Lucy, fry yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. And do not still let your turkey over ham? It's hard to beat a good hickory honey ham. It really yeah, is. I, ham is. Ham is Christmas for me. So I don't. I don't overlap that. I mean, I'll eat both, but if I have a preference, if there's two slices and I can only pick one, I'm going with the ham every single time. Wow. I thought I knew you both so well. Well, <laughs> Adam, you want to insert one more Spencer Sanders joke before we sign off here? I, I am nervous to be on the same side of you in a debate, Tyler, because of how bad your Spencer Sanders takes are. <laughs> well, that's going to do it for us on tonight's episode. As always, give us a follow on Twitter at the Mainline Pod One. Like and subscribe to the podcast. Give us a five-star review. Uh, it's a big one on Saturday night. Season comes down to this for Oklahoma. Corbin, one more thing. We hit 700 followers last week, uh, I think, believe, during the game. Mm-hmm. Uh, for those of you, 700 of you that actually listen to the pod, like, 
thanks. We really appreciate it. You know, we're just a few guys that love talking OU sports. Um, I think we always had some goals of growing this thing and gaining a good follower, follower base. But the fact that we've gotten to 700 followers over last spring, I think we were around, what, 150? Yeah. We just, we appreciate the follows. We, we try to make it entertaining and, and glad and appreciate everybody who's uh, decided to follow us. Absolutely. Can uh, echo that. And speaking for Adam Corbin, we, you know, truly do appreciate you guys. This has been fun. You know, we got into this, you know, not really thinking it was going to turn into something. It was just an excuse for us to get together one hour a week, talk some football, kind of catch up. And uh, it's been a fun season and we hope that it's going to continue down in Arlington. Um, and if Oklahoma can take care of business in Stillwater, but no, 630 Saturday night, Bedlam. It's going to be a big one. It's going to be a fun one. Orbit, uh, Adam, cheer loud for both of us in attendance. We'll be following it on TV, listening to Herb Street and Chris Fowler. But, uh, again, Tyler, Corbin, Adam, we appreciate you guys. Have a happy Thanksgiving. Boomer Sooner. And we'll be back next week for another episode of the Mainline Podcast. <laughs>